What, in addition to the right equipment, does it take for the job of film editing? Thanks for joining me in the cutting room this week. I'm your host, Gordon Burkell. What you're about to hear is part one of my interview with Malcolm Jameson. He's editor of such shows as Bored to Death, Nurse Jackie, and the hit Mad Men. If you want to comment on this episode, you can contact me via my Twitter, which is ArtGuillotine, or you can email me at info at artoftheguillotine.com. Okay, before I start this interview, uh, it's important to point out that you're going to hear some beeps from a cell phone or some uh, sort of interference. And that's actually because we were in the ACE office and there were lots of cell phones in there at the time. So we did our best to get rid of them without removing certain content. But other than that, if you could just ignore those and enjoy the podcast. Could you tell me how you got into film editing? I started film editing through the route of fine art. I went to art school in Glasgow and I was making sculptures that were time-based, things that would dissolve or degrade over time. And so documentation became a part of that, like how to record the piece of sculpture or whatever it was that was. um, And uh, and so I had to learn a little bit about film and video from that point of view. Eventually did a postgraduate in, in film and television. And that sort of led me into you know, the moving medium. How do you think your art, like your time-based art, mm. influences your editing now? Yeah, I, I think one of the great things I learned in environmental art at Glasgow was a sense of context. The department made public art, so it was part of our remit was to be able to, to create artworks that were outside of the gallery and were site-specific in some way. So they they had to you had to go and, and research an area and understand everything about it. So it wasn't just a case of parachuting in some chunk of art. Mm-hmm. It was about making work that took on board everything around it, whether it's social or, or you know, historical context or just architectural, you know, how things are going to physically work. So I learned a lot about understanding context before creation mm-hmm. to some extent, um, not creating in a void, but creating from a place of influence, allowing things to influence, to come in. And so when I'm editing, I think of myself as, okay, what's the context of this scene? What just happened? What are the things outside of the frame that are coming to bear on what the few frames that are going to end up on the screen? So I think that stuck with me a lot. And, and it's, it's always been about, for me, visual art it tends to be visceral. It's a visceral experience. And I try to engage myself when I'm doing dailies I try to engage viscerally with the material above and beyond so what the new thing that I get to bring or the the new experience I get to have is just what my heart feels when I'm watching that material what my brain feels what little nuances are there that just spark something in me above and beyond what's already there and I'm working on something like Mad Men I mean the script is king it is amazingly written work and you have incredible actors and you have beautiful cinematography and you have costumes and all the rest of it. I mean, it's not a hard job to have to do, but what to bring to it, how do you find something to bring to that is about listening to something else, something that's not necessarily easy to put into words, but it can be a glimmer in an eye or it can be a strange head turn or something that just is slightly different from the way you might have expected it, but add something to the piece rather than take away from it. You mentioned the writers in, in Mad Men. Do you ever work with the writers in post, or have you ever had to yeah. work closely with them? And well, uh, how sorry. do you go about doing that? Yeah, I mean, Matt 
is the lead writer, obviously the creator. And so I, I definitely work with him very directly. But I've taken to having conversations with the other writers and especially the writer on set to give me that added guidance at times. Certainly with Robin and Lisa, I find that we can chat a lot and, and figure out where the danger areas might be around a scene. You know, maybe there's something that they're concerned about that they had to go a third time for or whatever. And sometimes, like last year, I, I don't like to get too far ahead of where I'm cutting. Like, I don't want to read script three down the line. I'd want to stay pretty close to my own script. I'll read everything before it, but I don't want to read too much after it. But occasionally I had to go to the writers and say, is this going somewhere? Is this, is there a reason for this? This seems like, it feels like a weird beat, okay? And I, I'm not quite sure, are you guys setting some, some foundation for something that's going to happen later? So I'll, I'll go and ask them about story. I'll go and be quite specific. I'm, I don't want to know the intimate details of what it might be. Yeah. I don't want to, don't give it away. You know, don't, don't spoil the fun for me. <laughs> but at the same time, is, am I right in sensing there's something going on here? And they would say, yeah, of course, yeah, you're right. Or no, you're completely wrong and don't worry about it. Just ignore that part, you know. So it was good to, it's good to have that um, focus. And I think with the directors now, the, the, you know, Matt's building a, a very strong, close team with Mike Oppendahl and Jen Getzinger and Phil Abram. I mean, you know, and he's got, he's got this bunch of people that he really, really trusts with the work. In the first season, I would say I was always just focusing on what I knew of Matt and what my own experience had been with him on the pilot. Um, I think the more people he gathers around him that, that are of a like mind, the more we can all trust each other and the more that, that relationship starts to grow. I always think of with features, the editor, you know, they work on it and if the writer's coming in, there's always that nerve. Right, of, oh, he's right. Gonna, you know, and the writer, you always hear the writers going on about how the editors just changed their story or... Right. I think they're mostly pretty good with whatever we change because they see it as, I mean, certainly Matt, he regards the the final writing process is that process that happens in the edit room. And, and it's, you know, it's frequently just nuancing something. Mm-hmm. But other times it can be, no, that didn't work. I, th- I thought that would work. It, it's not working as well as I'd hoped. And let's revisit it. Or, or you, as you're building the season, you know, you'll write something and then a few episodes in, you'll realize, you know what, I don't want, to, I don't want that information to come out yet. Mm-hmm. And uh, the, the clip we were talking about today at, at EditFest, I showed a clip that had to be re-edited, not because it was badly done, it was mm-hmm. beautifully done. It was a really exquisite sequence. But the information that was there was too much. There was too much story given away, too much emotion. It was overtold. And in the context of the season, it made much more sense to underplay it and to leave it more ambiguous. I think that the willingness to do that, Matt, has no no qualms at all about, about recutting stuff in terms of story if it works better. Now, in television, you might be working with a couple editors on a project. How do you go about working together to make sure that the audience has sort of a uniform cut across mm-hmm. the series? for the show, like what approach do you take with the other editors or how do you set it up for the other editors? I think I've been lucky in that I've worked on the pilots. Oh, like mm-hmm. I worked on the pilot of Mad Men and Bored to Death, I worked on the pilot of that. So to some extent, it's the tone or the, the template that was set then that we're moving forward with. Mm-hmm. I was on the flip side of that for Nurse Jackie where I was stepping into a pre-existing show and that was a little bit more difficult for me but 
I had a lot of conversations with Michael Barambam, like just kept on, you know, I was in and out of his room all the time, just like, how are we going to play this? How do you feel about the way this piece of comedy is playing? I'm not sure about this. And also my, my producer, my post-producer, um, Brad Carpenter, I really would, I leaned on him a lot. I would ask him to come in and just look at stuff because I wasn't at that stage able to be spending time with the producers because they were too busy on set and everything. So I wasn't really getting that time, that I, the kind of time I had with Matt. So I really had to learn it, and I had to learn it from the other editors. I, I did speak with, with Michael a lot and really appreciated his perspective and, and help in getting there, you know, and getting the tone right. And sometimes you accept that the tone isn't going to be the same from episode mm-hmm. to episode. Um, some directors will, will take in a certain direction, and that can be okay. I think occasionally you have standalone episodes that really make sense, just in their own form. And there are other concerns that are about series or about the overall arc of a season. And then you really have to to negotiate that a little bit, you know. I don't try and outcut someone else. <laughs> you know, I don't. I, I do the opposite. I, if, if, if I think rules are starting to be created, I'll find out whether that was a one-time situation or whether it was intentional. I don't think you'd ever want to outcut someone because then it would almost affect it on the audience. And it right. Really well I mean, it be. should be invisible, right? Where our, our intention is to be as invisible as possible. I don't want anybody to be able to tell whether I cut it or whether Michael cut it. I don't know if Michael feels the same way, but... <laughs> <laughs> Get this email. It's like, I cut this one. Just remember just, that. Just be very, very clear. <laughs> that was Malcolm that cut that thing. <laughs> <laughs> so you, you did the pilot for Mad Men. How did you approach the feel for Mad Men? Mm. And how has that changed over the right. seasons? I, it was weird. Like, I felt very... When I read the script, I was like, wow, this is just... I mean, obviously incredible writing. But I was like, okay, it's poppy. It's such smart dialogue. I mean, it, it it's sharp. It's super sharp. How are we going to cut that? Is it going to be, is it going to be on camera all the time? Because that was my gut instinct was that it was that snappy, the kind of snappy that you could cut line for line on camera, and make it work. Because it's a period piece. I mean, I think you know, March talks about dragnet cutting, mm-hmm. and I think in Mad Men we do a fair amount of dragnet cutting. <laughs> you know, and and it's okay. It's well, actually what, what appropriate. What do you mean by dragnet? Um, and that, you know, we're on the person that's talking. Oh, okay. So it's like almost like butt cutting. So it's like I talk, you talk. Back exactly. Yeah, it's very, very... And I think it can be a bit of a ping pong match. Sometimes it looks like you're just following the writing, which you should, mm-hmm. probably should be on something as good as Mad Men. But it's also that you... Because it's a, once we accepted that set of rules, once we say, okay, Matt doesn't want to see a lot of overlaps. He wants to see pretty clean cuts. He wants to see fairly traditional approach in terms of establishing location, moving into medium shots, and then getting to close shots for a reason. Mm-hmm. If you have to reset, come back out to the wide or back out to the mediums and then go back in again for another punch. So there are rhythms that come from his dialogue, absolutely from his dialogue and the way it's written. Mm-hmm. And his shot descriptions, etc., and and, and and actions, are very, very clear in the script. I start to interpret the script as I read it, mm-hmm. and it, it is almost like a shot list. And I feel if I start with that, I'm going to be in pretty good shape. My gut was that, it, it, that we were going we to have long, slow scenes where we allowed things to sit and be heavy, mm-hmm. and then we were going to have snappy scenes where you felt like you were really bum, bum, bum with the dialogue, keeping up with the, the wit and the sharpness 
of the things that people were saying. Mm -hmm. And the other thing that Matt talks about is throwing things away a bit. So the performances, the performances don't have to be big and funny because the writing is. And likewise, the editing doesn't have to try to out, you know, perform the the actor or the writing or the cinematography. It just needs to function and do its job. You know, it doesn't need to draw attention to itself. So I hope we don't do that. I hope we don't. I mean, there are moments when you you want to really create something around a beat or or, or something mm -hmm. that you saw, but essentially it's about telling the story and it, and just focusing on that. Well, is this story beat useful? Is it getting us to the next place? Now, has it changed since you started, or is it? You know, I th I think things have changed in in some respects. I would say we've moved the camera far less than we used to, and that's not to say that that the footage doesn't exist. A, a lot of the camera moves are shot but not utilized in the final edit and i think that is to do with matt being able to have more control over the material and the pacing and the exactly how something's performed he does love a good two shot though so you can really sit with two actors who know what they're doing and have have it sorted i mean it, there's a beautiful scene at the end of last season where basically peggy tells pete that she did indeed uh, have a baby and it was his and she let it go and it's very sad it's a really heartbreaking scene and they're brilliant actors the pair of them have known each other for a long time mm -hmm. when I saw the two shot in, in dailies I was like okay well that's that's done marking in <laughs> marking out walk away because it was beautiful mm -hmm. it was absolutely heartbreaking and and I was I was holding my breath for a four minute scene just watching the two of them do their work and when I first showed it to Matt, he was like, yeah, well, we won't be doing that. But I think what he enjoyed and what I enjoyed out of it was just a respect for the actors mm -hmm. and, and how, how well they knew their part, how deeply they had gone there, that you would quite happily just sit and watch two people sitting on a sofa talk for four minutes and it be completely enthralling. And that doesn't happen very often. And it's nice to, to have material that the, and performances that are worthy of that. We ended up cutting it you know, in, uh, as a more traditional scene and being really in there. And, and, and I, I hope it keeps the same vibe. But it, it's nice to have those moments in, when you're working where you just feel mm -hmm. like you don't have to do anything. You just let it happen. Yeah. It's all there. It's all there already. Now, throughout the series, there's the mystery behind John Draper. Mm-hmm. Or sorry, yeah. John Hamdon Draper. Yeah. We all get that mixed up. <laughs> <laughs> How did you approach cutting scenes with him to try and keep that mystery in there and sort of playing his character off other characters? He has an amazing face, obviously. I mean, mm -hmm. he, he looks incredible. But he has this... Uh, there are moments where... Don's face s seems to completely transform and it's like the muscles in his all the muscles I don't know what kind of training he has to do for this <laughs> <laughs> lifting things with his eyebrows uh, but John Hammer just has this amazing ability to shift what's happening behind his eyes and what's happening in his soul in that moment it's like the entire flesh of his face changes mm -hmm. uh, I find it stunning to watch so there are a lot of these very subtle but like you know like you said suspense and, and and secretive things that are happening for him as a character that 
we, the audience, can see a wash come over his face and we know what it means. We, mm-hmm. we do have those details. Whereas another character would m- possibly miss the full transformation that he's going through in that moment. But we, the audience, get to feel it. But it's through, through an amazing control of facial muscles. Well, I've noticed just uh, <laughs> in talking with you that you've, you're almost um, like a student of human reactions because you're mm. constantly referring to little things in like someone's ah, face or okay. someone's... I think when you're, looking at it, when you're looking at the material over and over again, you start to watch these little tells mm-hmm. that human beings have. And a great actor will be like a human being, not like a... There, there are certain tells that are, oh, there's an actor, he's about to do this thing. Yeah. Um, I noticed that when I used to cut for some news television and when the news reporters were doing their stand-ups, they would... Blink. You know, it's, 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 it's the merch thing. Again, yeah, yeah. you know, there are tells, there are physical tells that, that if you're good at what you do, there are rhythms that are built that that are based on human behavior that are just that and a great actor will will have absorbed everything about that human being that character that they're playing and those those things will happen naturally those blinks will happen just where you want them that little tweak of the eye mm-hmm. paul schultz on nurse jackie mm-hmm. there's a thing there's what there's a tremor that happens in his eye mm-hmm. is uh, he, and i know he's controlling it he there's the scene with him and um coop when they're um, when Jackie's just popped in and they're having a little lunch together and mm-hmm. he pops back out again, and Coops confesses that he he uh, had touched her breast, and and Paul's eye just starts to do this little thing because of course, Coop doesn't know that he's Stupner and yeah. So there's all you know there's all these very subtle stories that get told through nuance, absolutely through nuance through a flicker of an eye or or, or a brush of a cheek or working with Elizabeth Moss's performance is just astounding for me. I, I, everything she does just seems so true mm-hmm. and deep, you know, and subtext is what's happening on the body. Usually I think, I think that the subtext creeps through these little gestures that we see. I guess we could ju- jump to nurse Jackie. Hmm. Um, how is the the pacing seems to have relaxed from the first episode. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So the first episode was really fast paced, yes. cut really tight. Do you know what the reason for that was? Was it uh, because the story was more flushed out now and we could sort of relax a bit on each piece, or what was the reason? Yeah, for I think there was an. Uh, I think often you know a pilot has a lot a lot of heavy lifting to do. Mm-hmm. It has a lot to establish. I think you probably see the same on Mad Men that the pace probably relaxed off. You know, we had a lot of ground to cover. So I think you're setting up a lot in that in those earlier episodes that that um, you can now by by episode four on something you're starting to relax into a little bit, mm-hmm. um, and I think the other thing was just was responding to what was working the best, and for me the best stuff is just watching Edie do her thing. Mm-hmm. Again, an astounding actress, just to to watch her work. You, you know, pick any take. Yeah, you know, and the, I never I don't think it was ever a beat that I was like, where is that beat? Where is how am I going to make that work? Mm-hmm. You know, how am, how am I going to not mess it up? That's, that's you know, you know, it's really phenomenal performance. And I think the depth, so it's, yes, it's a comedy. Mm-hmm. But so is, you know, Weeds is a comedy. Yeah. Tara was a comedy. Uh, you know, both Showtime shows. They're more than comedy. Mm-hmm. They're far more than comedy. Than the, and the work, the, the performances that are brought to them. 
go way deeper than it's not it, these aren't sitcoms these are profound human stories that we can laugh about mm -hmm. these are characters with wit and um, but they are characters with pain and suffering as well and a lot of the humor comes out of that the pathos mm -hmm. you know so i think i think what we did we were able to relax more into the show with ed what i really enjoyed um working with steve semi was we didn't work with music at all he doesn't He's, he's not used to working with music ahead of time and so we didn't and I think it gave us a bit more gravity as we were working and the music came in later I think I probably you know if overall my preference is to work without music unless it's really required unless it comes in after you know is that because it sort of defines beats for you or is it yeah, it can you can and uh, there's always temp love, you know, you can yeah. too easily fall in love with a piece of music that you can end up not being able to get and you've cut to it and then what are you going to do with that? Not to say that music I, I mean I think the way that we use it in um, in Mad Men is beautiful and I really I feel like I know that world and where mm -hmm. it's appropriate. And it's mostly that you just don't lead with it. Don't lead with your music. You you the music comes in when you've already achieved that emotion to some extent. Mm -hmm. And it, it makes it fuller, but it doesn't, it's not the thing that's telling you to feel that way. Yeah. So not making it like a cookie cutter cut, you know, you got to cry now. It's let the actors pull it out and right. give it to us. Right. Like you, you want the audience to be feeling that thing before we do all of our tricks that make them feel that way <laughs> to some extent, you know? Thanks for joining me for this episode. Join me next week for part two of my interview with Malcolm James. I'd like to thank Malcolm for joining me. I'd also like to thank the ACE, Jenny McCormick, and my producer, Lauren Woodcock. I'm Gordon Burkell. Thanks for listening.